listening to the Retail Razor Show, where your expert hosts and their guests cast through the clutter in retail and retail tech to shape the future of retail. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 3, Part 1 of the Retail Razor Show. I'm your host, Ricardo Belmar. And I'm your co-host, Casey Golden. Welcome Retail Razor Show listeners to our unapologetically authentic retail podcast for product junkies, commerce technologists, and everybody else in retail and retail tech alike. Now, Ricardo, did I hear you right? You said part one? That's right. This is our special edition episode on Grocery Shop. I was fortunate enough to attend the show and managed to sit down live and in person with six people to record a few interviews for our listeners. I wish I could have been there. And that's probably the first time I will admit that I wanted to go to grocery shop. I hear it was a great job. <laughs> it, it was. It definitely was. Of course, it wasn't as big a shop talk, but there were about 4,000 attendees and I'd say a pretty good percentage of retailers and CPG brands there. That was probably the best grocery shop yet. And you know, we'll hear more about that through some of the interviews too. So that explains these special episodes and everything. But why part one? What, what's coming up after that? Well, I did mention six interviews. So we're going to stitch these together two interviews at a time in this episode. And then we'll quickly release part two and part three right behind this one with the other interviews. So you get some bite-sized episodes and rapid fire from us. Awesome. No one's ever accused us of having episodes that are too short. <laughs> <laughs> so who do we who do we have lined up for this show? We are going to jump in to highlight a very cool grocery tech startup that I'm sure we're going to be seeing a lot more of in the months to come. We'll have Katie Hotes, the CEO of Grocery Shopping. She's amazing, wonderful. Can't wait for everyone to learn more about Katie and what she's doing, helping busy families shop for groceries in a more experiential way leveraging a never-ending collection of recipes, all while saving you money doing it. I mean, what could be better? Does she cook? <laughs> Almost. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could, maybe if they cooked it for you. But, you know. No, I'm all in for startup spotlights and looking forward to that guest. Who's our second guest? So from there, we are going to jump to an industry analyst perspective. About halfway through grocery shop, I sat down with good friend Stuart Samuel, global insights leader at IGD, uh, to talk about the trends that were surfacing halfway through the show. You know, we, we did manage to overcome some kind of annoying technical challenges in the podcast room for this interview with the equipment in the room. But I think we came out with some really good insights for grocers and brands. So, of course, we are going to hear about one of the biggest trends coming out of Grocery Shop, Retail Media Networks. We really nailed that prediction for the year, didn't we? Oh, oh yeah, 100%, 100%. And you couldn't walk down a hallway at the show without seeing somebody's branded ad from a retailer promoting their retail media networks. I mean, Walmart Connect was everywhere to the point where I, I'm not even sure anyone from Walmart was there to actually attend the show. They were there to sell <laughs> their own retail media services to other retailers. Wow. Now, wait, you said one of the top trends. What else was trending? Was there something bigger than retail media? Well, yeah, there were other trends, you know, like convenience, the the omnipresent omni-channel that, you know, shows its head at every show. And an oldie bit of goodie, personalization. I'm not sure about that one. Maybe grocery industry was just figuring that one out because it's not like we haven't been talking about that one for a while. But for, for the absolute top trend for that answer, you're just going to have to listen to the interviews. Uh, believe me, part two and part three will be very illuminating. 
Uh, let's just say we've saved the best for last while sprinkling a few important nuggets here and there along the way, but there'll definitely be some surprises. Wow. With that kind of setup, this must be the most jam-packed, full of value, hitting you every minute series of episodes we've done. And I can't wait to hear it because I will be hearing it for the first time with our listeners as well. So let's dive in and get right to the live recording, in-person interviews from Grocery Shop 2022. Welcome to the Retail Razor Show special edition episode at Grocery Shop 2022. I'm here at the show in Las Vegas with a series of amazing guests as part of our Retail Transformers series to talk all things grocery and consumer goods. And to kick off the series, I'm here with Katie Hotz, the CEO and founder of Grocery Shoppy. It's thrilled to have you here, Katie. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a lot of fun. So to get started, why don't you tell us about yourself and what led you to create Grocery Shoppy and give us the background and what Grocery Shoppy is all about. Sure, sure. So, so myself, I am a digital marketer and I spent about 18 years in management technology consult. This was an idea that I had off the side of my desk because I was a super busy mom and was trying to figure out how to get the recipe process of finding them and getting them, getting the ingredients and having it all in the kitchen at 5.30 on a Tuesday when I roll in hot from work and I've got kids you know, grabbing my leg telling me they're starving. And so, yeah, yeah, there was, you know, we, I lived in uh, Chicago at the time and uh, the grocer that, you know, could deliver to the house, I'd open the app and, or, or the web browser and would add a couple random items to cart and I'd never checked out. And so I knew there had to be a better way. And so I ended up creating a prototype myself to do so. So the company evolved over, gosh, let's see, like, you know, 2019, 2020. Um, we, we just really began this journey of figuring out what types of need really existed. Was my need unique? Turns out it's not. And yeah, so we've been off to the races really since 2019, but with the grocery shoppy meal planning applications since 2020. And yeah, we are a digital meal planning application for grocery e-commerce. We actually integrate directly with a grocer's existing e-commerce platform, and we become a connection point to their front-end website. And so we grab approximately one out of every nine shoppers enters into our platform to do meal planning and online grocery shopping in five minutes flat. And then, wow. yep, so we get them to and through checkout as fast as possible. And when we do, they come back four times as often, and they spend 18 to 30% more per cart. So I, I'm sure a lot of people hearing those numbers and listeners are going to say, wow, that's pretty amazing. I have to say, being someone who reluctantly does grocery shopping every week in, in my household, and particularly I'm one of those people from the pandemic who thoroughly took advantage of online ordering to avoid going to the store. And I have to say, I mean, you put a really unique spin on that whole process of, I mean, kind of adding a discovery process in my mind, right, to grocery shopping, which I've personally always kind of viewed as a pretty mundane exercise. You know, most people probably have a list of things that they think they want. They go to the store and shop. And you've added this layer that I think is pretty interesting because you're almost telling everyone to start with what you want to have and then kind of work into or allow through the interface, the grocer kind of provide what you need to do that and then get an order done. That's the beauty of digital. Yeah. It's, you just automate it. And so I, I think that's what annoyed me the most. I, I truly, like funny story, I, I was that mom on the playground and my friends would bring me recipes printed out. So my whole career in digital. <laughs> uh-huh. A right. Print, print paper printout. And they go, here, here are the burritos we make. And here's what da 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 I'm like, don't, don't give this to me. I don't have to. Yeah. What are you going right? to do with that paper? What are you going to do with that piece of paper? <laughs> and so I think just, just the natural, you know, design of a piece of tech that explodes to cart 
that was not new. You know, a couple of years ago, I was, I was trying to get this off the ground and I had, uh, I was trying to get a speaking opportunity at a big conference and I had the head of content call me. He goes, uh, shoppable recipes, nothing new. And I was like, no, but we do it differently because we're not B2C, we're B2B, right? Mm-hmm. We're a complimentary retail application. Right. And, you know, we're, we're like the Starbucks app on your phone. It's got one job. It does it really, really well, right? That's us. We're an incredibly narrow tech platform. We've got one job. And, and we can work with all the different grocers out there. And it, it's a very simple process. We can spend, if we're on their e-commerce, if we have the integration written already, it's literally hours to stand them up. If not, it's a couple weeks. So it's, it's a really interesting model, but it's, it's very serving for our end consumer. Like per your example, you know, it exists with reason because there's a 70 to 84% card abandonment rate with grocery websites. People go there, they're looking at COVID shot links, bakery links, order your flowers for Valentine's Day. I mean, the front page of a grocery's website is just cluttered, but people are coming with a very specific purpose. When you're buying ingredients at the grocery store, you're going to mix them together. You're going to make right. something with them. That's right. Yeah. Right? And I think a lot of times it takes the person who owns that responsibility in the household, which tends to be north of 90% a woman, who also, you know, our data is agnostic. If you work, if you stay at home, you need to have a solution. And so when we built it, we built it with that busy parent in mind. Well, I think that makes so much sense. And it really adds this uh, almost experiential layer to grocery shopping that I, I almost feel like it makes it a lot more interesting now as the shopper, because you've got that end goal already in mind. and the technology is helping hand that to you. Yeah, totally. And, you know, the thing about machine learning is when, when you build a, a content deployment tool of any sort and you feel it with ML, you're allowing the code to be written from the, the moment of first use and it constantly gets better. Hmm. And uh, I think that's what's really cool about the way that we personalize the recipes. Every time you go in, you look at fresh recipe content. That's an imperative. That, that is the secret sauce of making sure that you pull people back over and over again. No one wants to see your stagnant recipe content. Those 300 recipes that you've had living on your website since 1995, no one wants to see them. And, and people go, oh, Katie, you know, we have recipes. No one clicks on them. Yes, I know. Because recipe content is deployed every second on Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook. It gets old quickly. Right? Yes, yes. I mean, you can't compete with that. Grocers can't compete with that. We have large retailers tell us, like, you mean we can just hand this to you? We don't have to deal with the recipes and you just do it all. Yes, that's what we do. That's all we do. And so it's, it's, it's an interesting model where it's, it's, I didn't realize it was a burden in the industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the grocers, particularly the grocers north of like 70, 100 stores, they're the ones that are, they're just working with bloggers constantly. Mm, and right. they are tethered to that blogger. If it is July 4th and they've got to get the July 4th recipes out the door, I'm telling you, that blogger might pop that content back to them at 2 o'clock and that newsletter hits out at 4 o'clock. <laughs> And it's just impossible, right? But when you have access to us, you have access to all of our recipe content. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can do a 365-day omnichannel right. content calendar right. and, and deploy it all out there. So it's just, it's just an interesting convenience that there's a lot of benefits we didn't see. Mm-hmm. We came in to solve a problem for the shopper. You know? right. And it's in the rest. I, I truly, I told everyone from day one, I'm like, the rest will come. Yeah. Trust yeah. me. Right. Right. We will never charge that shopper. We will always mm-hmm. be free. Period. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've been challenged on this. Really? Oh, I, I am the mom. I'm 33. <laughs> you know, I've had a 25-year career already almost. And it's really important that it stays free. You don't put up paywalls. It's right. really important that you um, know what is most important to your shopper. Our shopper is between 25 and 50 years old and has at least one child in the home. Speed is her number yes. one Absolutely. priority. 
that blows people's minds. I'm like, oh no, she's looking for healthy, healthy diets. Yes, she is. Mm -hmm. But that is about rank three or four on the list. Speed is number one. And so you have to figure out what's most important. And you have to answer to that. And so, and I think that's where user feedback comes in and just, mm -hmm. you know, just, just the essence of continuing to evolve through the feedback from our super users is, is really, I think, how we have gotten to where we are today. And I do think that it's different than grocers who are trying to build in-house and there's a lot right. behind the curtain. Right. And, and you've seen from what I read in one article about one of your customers, it, it seems that you actually know from the data, you, you know, when that customer is coming back and you, you can compare versus someone that's not using the recipe tools, how do they, how do their basket size compare? What's their shopping frequency? And you can see the difference. We, oh, we follow everything. Yep. And, it, and it's quite simple to follow. But yeah, we, we isolate a retailer, segment the data, make sure you're looking at just accurate local data, right? Mm -hmm. And um, they've either accessed our platform or they haven't. And you just map those two fields together. That gives you the chance to realize that like our shoppers, when they play with our recipes, they return to the grocery site four times more often than a shopper who does not. Wow. Four times more often. They've never visited our platform before. Yep. They, uh, our, our shoppers have a 4X increase mm, compared wow. to them. Yeah. And I mean, think about like today, I have six grocery stores I can drive to any given yeah, moment. Right. Loyalty is everything right oh, now. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Especially in post-pandemic yeah. world. You mentioned online ordering. I just get a chill down my spine if I have to walk in the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. I'm such a brat. Me too. <laughs> uh, uh, and I mean, it's, it's, it's really been disturbing lately. I'll literally pull up in front of the grocery store and go, no, 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 no. I'm going to go home and do this on my sofa. Right. And so, and you know, online ordering in the United States year over year in July increased 17%. Yeah. Wow. I, a year ago, I sat it's not going table, back. I mean, you know, I've been trying to close deals this whole time. And I sat at the table with retailers and I would have someone look across the table at me and say, online grocery shopping is going to contract. <laughs> A lot of these groceries, these, the shoppers yeah. are going right back in the store. They're going right back in the store. Right. And when you challenge that, it's like, you know, there, there were people smart enough to sign on with us and light it up. And there are people that have, have waited and, and we've closed some of those contracts now that, yeah. you know, a year ago, they, they, their theory was bust. You know, I mean, online grocery shopping's exploded. Um, right. Yeah. No, I, I agree. People don't want to go agree. to the store anymore. I don't have 45 minutes to go walk. The right. Store, yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I think for a lot of people, it's not that you may never go back in. It's just that the frequency at which you're going to do that is going to be so much lower than before because you want to take advantage of the convenience factor, but you still want to get the same outcome. And I think that's what's fascinating with what you're doing is you're able to deliver something more than what the customer could get before with that online experience without having to go into the store. Yes, because you used the word discovery earlier. Mm -hmm. And that's a, I always associate that word with Costco. Just, you know, that, yeah. that, that's the right. essence of right. what they want you to do is go in there and, and find something new. And the cool thing about recipes is that it's a bundle, but it's also an impulse buy, right? So when you hit that button and explode to cart, there, there is a, a computation taking place. And the statistical likelihood that you're going to accept that and check out is very, very high. And so what, what just landed in your cart? Some shoppers care, some shoppers don't. Right. Listen, right. If, you, if you fit into our target persona, you do not care what brand those diced tomatoes are. Just put them in the cart. That's mm -hmm. why we fill primarily with private label. It's very important as part of our Which effort. has a, a margin impact for the grocer. Yes, but it also keeps the recipes nice and inexpensive for the shopper. Right. Again, we're always shopper first. Right. Everything that we right. do, we have to reverse, <laughs> go behind the curtain, figure out how it's going to work, you know, from a revenue standpoint. But it is imperative that the shopper wins and low price wins every time. Getting, yeah, no, no Getting doubt. the acceptance of the recipes mm -hmm. as they move to cart. 
Well, well, this this has really been fantastic and just fascinating talking with you, Katie. I know we're going to be seeing and hearing a lot more about grocery shopping with, with the kind of trends that I, I expect to see here this week at, at Grocery Shop. For uh, listeners, if they want to get in touch with you, learn more about uh, grocery shopping, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Sure. Me personally, my LinkedIn is always open. I check my DMs every day. Mm -hmm. So Katie H. Oates on LinkedIn. For the company, groceryshopee.com. It's groceryshopii.com. We have a contacts page. When you fill out that contact form, it tends, depending on what your category is, comes straight to me. And so we love hearing from people. We love being able to follow up, whether it's clients, partnerships, et cetera. Perfect. Well, thanks again for joining me, Katie. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate this. I enjoyed this. Welcome to the Retail Razor Show special edition episode at Grocery Shop 2022. I'm here at the show in Las Vegas, continuing our series of amazing retail transformers to talk all things grocery and consumer goods. And today I'm here with Stuart Samuel, Global Insight Leader for IGD. Stuart, we've known each other for a while now, and we have seemed to often run into each other at these conferences all the time. Uh, so it's, I'm just thrilled to have you on the show today. Yeah, hi, Ricardo. It's great to be here. and uh, really excited to uh, share, share some thoughts with you today. Well, let's start by having you give us some of uh, your background and what you do at IGD. Yeah, so I've been at IGD quite a long time, actually, like 17 years. Um, <laughs> probably the last 12, 13 years, uh, tracking uh, developments in the U.S. market, and uh, more recently, leading our global insight team. So looking at trends, innovations, what does the future of commerce look like? What does the stored future look like? Over the next sort of uh, three to five years, then we work out maybe over the next five to 10 years. So you are really in a pretty unique position, I'd say, in your role to see firsthand what the impact is of all the latest trends and across grocery, CPG. What have you seen? We're about halfway through this week's grocery shop. What are you seeing so far? What what are you most excited about? What are you hearing? Yeah, it's been interesting over the last sort of day and a half, the amount of times that retail media has been discussed. Definitely <laughs> of course. I'd say it's a sort of nodding away there. So it's been a very yeah. hot topic. And I think yeah, I was in the session similarly uh, earlier this morning. And they, they talked with their new platform. That's coming. I love the fact they're calling it Gulp, which is kind of... Uh, <laughs> so you know, that's great. It's, that's it's, great. It's probably the best name of it. Yeah, it's definitely a, a hot topic. And uh, it, it's one we've been watching and I've seen a little bit as well. And uh, I think it's going to be interesting, you know, we work with the retailers and manufacturers, and when you're seeing so, so many of these platforms being launched, I think what's going to be interesting from a manufacturer point of view is how do you prioritize, how do you invest, how do you benchmark these different platforms? Because suddenly, you know, there's probably, you know, 50 to 20 of these up and running in the US right now. Mm -hmm. How do you allocate resources? How's right, uh, right. Where to focus in on now? So, yeah, that's definitely been a, been a hot topic that I've heard a lot about personalization. <laughs> the P word has come of back. Of course, it's, it's back. Yeah. It's kind of disappeared yeah. for a while, right? And, uh, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of linked a little bit to the retail media, the ability to, you know, really deliver that personalization at scale in uh, digital. I don't think, I think we're a long way away from maybe getting true personalization, but it's more about contextual and relevant, you know, experiences online. Omnichannel is still growing strong, and uh, I think sort of what we've seen over the last couple of years has come to life at this conference that most retailers now accept that Omnichannel is the best way forward. It's where most profitable customers kind of sit for the retailers. So uh, yeah, a lot of focus on those three areas in particular. Yeah, lots to cover there. So I'm, I'm going to go back to the first one on retail media only because we've talked about retail media quite a bit. Uh, on our show, it was one of our uh, big, big bets or big predictions for the year that it was just going to be one of the great hot topics. And I think one of the things that struck me 
your grocery shop is, you know, as soon as you come in, if you judge just by all of the branded advertising you see all over the hall, you think that everything about the show is retailers who want to sell retail media to brands just from all the signage that I, I see. Every- yeah, there's definitely a strong presence, you know, and I think that the leaders, Walmart and Amazon, they're here in Fort, mm-hmm. um, they have some great stands, they have a strong presence and uh, really sort of pushing that in you know, digital platforms. But I think what's also interesting from those organizations, just kind of making fun of topic a little bit, they're actually here to sell that tech. Um, I've seen them on the commerce lounge and stand, uh, you know, the Amazon has just walked up group here as well. So uh, these retailers are really sort of expanding their reach in that sort of digital and technical world into other retail organizations as well. Yeah, but going back to retail media, yeah, it's going to be, you know, for, for all the retailers, they're seeing as, a, as an answer to the e-commerce profitability of me, how can we make money from uh, from all this delivery and to go back to we're doing in our stores. And, you know, I think suddenly, you know, the light bulb has gone off with a lot of companies to say, hey, you know, there's, there's a really high margin product here and that we can make a lot of money out of and it can sort of uh, offset some of those additional costs. Actually, it can also help in commerce business as well because it can drive on scale of all right. through that channel for the retailers. But uh, yeah, it's definitely an interesting topic. And it really seems to me to be a natural fit for grocery. Yeah, I think so. Just because of the number of touch points that, you know, people have every day. So, you know, people are typically, you know, interacting with crew 20, 25 times a week. And we know that people aren't just ordering once a week anymore for grocery deliveries. And even when they are doing a one, one large grocery delivery, they're actually building that order three or four times at different points during the week on different devices. So there's eyeballs online so many times that I think for the, for the CVG partners, it's just a great opportunity to get their brands from the consumers. And I guess what's made the true test is how relevant you know, those ads can be. But to your point, so for grocery retail specifically, you know, those with the loyalty programs, the ability to have a closed loop. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And really sort of show the ROI to the advertisers is such a strength that maybe doesn't exist in, in other channels yet as well. And do you see with the groceries, particular retail media networks, it, it seems to me there's a, a better opportunity perhaps than in other retail segments to have that closed loop data capability, either because of the loyalty programs or just different ways that grocers have to collect data about their customers over the lifetime, because they have such a regular recurring relationship with the customers or maybe other retail segments. It's much more sporadic in their interaction with customers. So it seems like the, the opportunity to deliver on that ROI to your point back to the brand should be better in a, in a grocery retail media network. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, in terms of vertical grocery, it's probably better position than, than others. Yeah, just that in the, the frequency and direction, just the amount of data that the mm-hmm. readers already have on, on their ability to align that with the ads they're serving up. So you, know, you can sort of show an ad to and provide that consumers locked in on the system. You know, the changes on cookies and things, part of a loyalty program, they can then you know, say to the advertiser, hey, we showed this person this ad, and this is what that person then went on to do either in store or online, and that's really powerful. And particularly with the, the limitations that's going to come with it, either we, that the is resourcing in a better position and yeah, they can really make the case that, you know, advertiser that's rather than going to a, a third party platform. Have you seen in, in the discussions here this week on retail media, connecting the dots, so to speak, between the focus on the e-commerce side of the business, but also bringing that retail media network in-store? Not yet, but it's definitely something that we've seen it happen in-store. So Amazon's a good example of the Amazon mm-hmm. stores and the those stores. There's a lot of digital screens up in those stores and obviously server other retailers like Walmart have been seeing sort of our channels in their store for a long time. But there's a lot more they can do in-store as well. It doesn't need to be just digital stuff. It can be something simple as like small stickers. 
Right. Yeah. Couldn't do the events in store as well. But the, I think all the time, I think that level of north and change. And right now, the big focus is on serving those digital ads. Yeah. But I think there'll be an option to expand that out into the physical store as well. Yeah. I, I think it just, it just makes sense. Do you see a tie in with things like electronic shelf labels? Yeah. You know, Kroger's tried that before. Mm-hmm. You know, they had the software, depending how far away you were from the club. Right. That the ad would change. So, right. yeah, you know, big picture means it's from far away and the closer you got to the shelf. More, more you know, narrow, more specific. Yeah, yeah, more narrow and giving them a contextual message. So I think there is opportunity there. There is a, I think, a, yeah, a significant cost with that type of setup as well. And people do it mostly across the whole store. We have seen some, some tests with, uh, a personal M's, um, being digitized on certain categories. Having digital boards above an Asda in the UK has done some of that. So, uh, yeah, I think over time. But uh, in terms of digitizing the whole sort of store shelf strips, I put just a, a cost in some of them. Yeah, that, that, that kind of makes sense, I think, on the, on the cost, especially if you think about, we're talking about large physical spaces, a lot, a lot of ground to cover with that. But I think maybe at the same time, this kind of goes to your second trend about the personalization is back, right? And we're talking more again about how to personalize. I heard at least one, maybe two different uh, brands talk about earlier today, just how personalization is just table stakes. You, you have to be doing this now. And it, it made me think, you know, I think we've heard that before too in, in past events like this, but there, there seems to be a different kind of context to it. And maybe it's because of the retail media networks where you want, you obviously want to leverage that personalization, but maybe there's something else happening. I, I think that's causing this to be more important than we used to talk about it. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of sort of, you know, pre-pandemic is being talked about quite a bit. I mean, the pandemic came and it was like, well, it's just yeah. to sell everything. Right. Sell. They got other priorities. <laughs> kind of sort of just off the radar. So I agree. The retail media uh, is one aspect, which is enabling more contextual ads to be served up. And it is a form of personalization. I think the other thing as well is changing expectations to go with consumers on mobile devices as well. I think sort of it's much easier to deliver that personalized experience through a mobile device and also many of consumers are spending more and more time on those mobile devices. Yeah, no, I, I agree that that makes sense. So, and, and again, that sort of ties into the third trend that you highlighted, which, you know, for most of us would say, well, it's not a new trend, but it's kind of back again in this space and that's the more omnichannel. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not a new trend, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it seems to me that just the, you know, all those other elements coming together, which really need their visualization, I think sort of. Retail's also, you know, the, the cost challenge they've had with e-commerce, uh, the work they've put in over the last few years to add up. And we've seen a bit of leveling also of growth, uh, in e-commerce this year. I think all the factors coming together that retailers are now really sort of refining and fine tuning really for online orders and, and returns. And I was just in a, a new target store in New York last week and, uh, they have a whole bank of, you know, checkouts and registered for selling stuff and then right. a whole other bank of checkouts and, you know, and desks. Just for collecting online order. Mm. So retailers are thinking about the spaces in sort of a pre-pandemic and during the pandemic. There wasn't like a ton of thought into sort of how much space is needed for this stuff. How I'm going to sort of set up the customer service aspect. There's more capacity in the market. There's more competition. The retailers are really sort of running in that service element. So, you know, when a customer comes to the store, how quickly can we serve that customer? And, and you know, by having that sort of staging space set up, be close to the store entrance. Having a team that's there. And I think that's where we're sort of now focusing on the on tone. The systems are set up, the processes are set up, right. the tech is there, the infrastructure is there. And that makes sense. Finding the right ways to optimize to start making all of these things more profitable and, and more consistent, I, I would say, probably for that customer experience. Yeah, I agree. And I think you know, a lot of retailers have scaled up a lot during the pandemic. And uh, whilst, you know, many of the both have slowed this year, 
the penetration for most retailers is significantly above where it was pre-pandemic. So it's a bigger part of the business. It's a bigger potential in you know, the business. We really need to get it right and uh, fine-tuning, looking at the consumer models. To get it gets to scale, do we need a dark store? Do we need a grocery store? Do we need something away from the store? So all the things are sort of uh, what I see it being looked at in a lot of details. One of the things that I guess strikes me with that is uh, maybe I'd describe it as well. I'll put it, I know I heard this in a couple of sessions today where there's the ongoing debate of, you know, which of these, you know, trends during pandemic are lasting today and beyond. You know, we saw that the large increases in online and e-commerce for grocery, and then there's been sort of a leveling off. And I've heard a couple of different viewpoints in, in sessions today on people expressing their thoughts as to, is that level going to now level off and stay at that rate? Or are we just going to see a slowdown in the increasing rate year over year of this, but it's still always going to be a significant enough proportion of the channel mix that, you know, we need to find ways to, to be better at Omnichannel. Yeah, definitely the uh, data we have about these shows, uh, incremental growth uh, to come. Definitely both is slowing this year. Uh, probably for a lot of countries, it will be flat this year compared to last year. And before and forward, yeah, we've seen some you know, good health of growth, including here in the US. And uh, again, a lot of us see with how tried it comes for the first time during the pandemic. Right. A lot of those have converted to being regular customers. There's also more capacity coming on stream, so more opportunities or, uh, or, you know, shoppers to order. Uh, I'm also, you know, I was just in the DoorDash section seeing, so there's more, you know, more missions being served, so going more up with convenience. Mm, right. Which, uh, and actually enabling large grocers to do that, so people like Albertsons in the US, Loblaw in Canada, mm -hmm. who don't have convenience format stores. Right. But now through their partnership with Dashmarts, we actually saw that. That convenience customer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and right. That's bringing a, a different type of offer. You know, some of the stuff we're seeing on experimentation around live streaming and mm -hmm. that social commerce, TV commerce. Right, right. So this kind of idea of yeah. is always on shopping. Right. Yeah, and lots of my pilots and test feelings this week. And uh, mm -hmm. all those, you know, we're just sort of underpin that growth. Yeah, but what, what do you see happening from your perspective in grocery with live streaming? You know, Walmart made a big announcement this week with Firework, right, and, and teaming up on live streaming. And I, I find that's an interesting topic. I mean, I, I generally, for retail, I'm a big proponent of, of live streaming taking off, maybe not in the same way that it did in China and throughout Asia, a little differently here. But I, I'm curious what you think that the, the angle is in the grocery segment for live streaming. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan actually of Firework. I think they've done some some great stuff and uh, some of the pilots with, with Albertsons and all the other with Walmart. I think there's a huge opportunity for food retailers to keep people in their own ecosystems to like. So rather than going to maybe TikTok mm -hmm. for a recipe inspiration, actually, can we, can we have that kind of content uh, on our platform? And uh, actually, can we set it up in a way that is user-generated content? Right, right okay, over, yeah. See, you know, let's see the G coming in, so just, uh, you know. Some branded content, or right? Telecreated content. But I think the, what I expect to see is that more of that user generated content sitting on the visual sites. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think live streaming is an opportunity in this market. I think it's a slow burn, though. Mm -hmm. um, I think it will be different uh, to what happened uh, in, you know, right. involved in Asia. But I think there, there is an opportunity that just because I think the appetite for that kind of, you know, real time video based content is huge and it's flowing with us in the consumers. And so I think all the time, there's just an expectation that they can sort of uh, tap into that type of content to actually experience that on the retail of truck. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then kind of keep owning that relationship versus giving up that relationship to the social media platform. Exactly. Yeah. And it, but it's, it is interesting. They, they are making their products available through those different platforms. Right. As well as this, right. kind of like covering all bases. It is, right? I guess it sort of plays into the, their, their whole omni-channel plan, right? Is to be everywhere in, in a sense. 
I know there was a session earlier I was in that uh, President of Campbell Snacks gave an example of a campaign they did on TikTok that generated 10 billion views uh, on just every like three days over three, right over three days on just how many goldfish can you hold in your hand? <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. But yeah, we know that uh, taking on TikTok, the results in the things to go viral right. very, very quickly. And uh, particularly, I think when they're imaginative, when they're around some of those, uh, you know, I wouldn't say nostalgia friends, but those well-known brands and similar of the Oreo campaign. Right. They've gone viral, they've done really well. I think it's, uh, I think it's been really interesting actually to see a lot of traditional brands tap into those new museums quite a big way. But sometimes you'd expect that maybe it would be some of the newer uh, challenges of startup brands that would be sort of up the previous space for that. You know, we've seen it from people like Crapper, right. from Wonder. All the traditional brands. All the traditional brands that really the job in that space. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. So that's uh, the last thing uh, I want to ask you. Is there anything that strikes you as interesting that's not being talked about so far in this week? Yeah. I'll tell you what I haven't had a lot about is two things that we, we are sort of very much focused on is health and sustainability. It, it is interesting because when I was four, sustainability was a big issue and it was on the agenda quite a bit. You know, there is a big sort of a discussion point right now where it does the, you know, cost of living crisis sort of pull back on some sustainability right. focus that a lot of shoppers have or do we continue to sort of pursue and, and support those things. So haven't seen a lot in this uh, event yet, but certainly sort of a, it's one way of watching to see just what happens with a lot of those efforts. Because what's, what's super interesting right now is that a lot of our milestones, um, shorter to focus on 2025 and 2030. So mm. 2025 is like less than, less, not that far away. Less than a thousand days, right? So right. there's a lot of packaging in this group in particular. Mm-hmm. A lot of retailers, retailers have made that. I mean, most retailers are saying that it's over 24. Yeah. A little bit longer up, actually, between 2025 and 2030, there's quite a lot of delivery begin to retailers ESG reports. I think we will see more coming through and uh, some activity in our space. I just haven't heard a lot of it here today. And then, then health is another one sort of, uh, um, we know it's a, you know, a big long-term shift in the industry, but again, it's not very much on the agenda. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. I've been kind of surprised that we don't see more agenda items on, on those topics here this week. Well, Stuart, this has been a fantastic uh, discussion. I'm so glad you could take the time to join me today. If listeners want to get in touch with you, follow your work at IGD, learn more about, you know, the great data insights you guys have. What's the best way for them to reach out to you? Yeah, probably click through with me on LinkedIn. Yeah, you'll probably see some store photos and on LinkedIn or, or my email, which is stuart.samuel at IGD.com. And uh, yeah, we have to talk about the work we do at IGD. All right, great. Well, thanks again, Stuart, for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, Ricardo. We hope you enjoyed our show and we can't ask you enough to please give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts to help us grow and bring you more great episodes. If you don't want to miss a minute of what's next, be sure to smash that subscribe button in your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to check out our show notes for handy links and more deets. I'm your host, Casey Golden. And if you'd like to learn more about the two of us, follow us on Twitter at KCC Golden and Ricardo underscore Belmar, or find us on LinkedIn. Be sure to follow the show on LinkedIn and Twitter at Retail Razor, plus our YouTube channel for videos of each episode and bonus content. I'm your host, Ricardo Belmar. Thanks for joining us. And remember, there's never been a better time to be in retail if you cut through the clutter. Until next time, this is the Retail Razor Show.